In June 2020, Edward Colston, a 17th century transatlantic slave trader, famously sank to the bottom of Bristol Harbour and met the same watery fate of thousands of Africans who, under his governance, perished while being forcibly transported across the Atlantic. Yet that is where any poetic comparison might end. This was a bronze effigy, not of the flesh, not of blood, not of human suffering. Unlike those black lives who were dehumanised, degraded and abused on the Royal African Company's slaving voyages, Colston did not suffer, but was rather celebrated, idolised and cast in bronze as a civic and national hero. But why? And how does academic scholarship on memory, race and nationhood help us understand this form of ideological commemoration? That's the question I want to probe in this Arts Institute series of short talks. I'm Dr. Aaron Sood, lecturer in English at the University of Plymouth, and this is called How We Remember, Memory Studies, Monuments and Black Lives Matter. The international solidarity for the Black Lives Matter movement has linked the global with the local as justice for George Floyd forces us to confront the structural and systematic racism in our own institutions, towns and cities. The suffering and demise of yet another black life on one side of the Atlantic has, thanks to the tireless efforts of many activists, urged us to trace the roots of racial inequality on the other and within our own locale. In the southwest alone, transatlantic histories have become more visible more known, more honest. Colston's legacy and commemoration in Bristol is being re-evaluated, while in Plymouth a square named after John Hawkins, a 16th century naval commander and promoter of transatlantic slavery, and who in many ways paved the way for the likes of Colston, is set to be renamed after Jack Leslie, a 20th century Plymouth Argyle footballer who was denied an England cap because of his skin colour. Inherently intertwined into calls for racial justice and equality, then, is also a greater awareness of how racism can be inscribed upon place and space through acts of commemoration such as statues, street signs and memorials. There has been much said of late about the so-called erasure of history, which was made explicit in some of the responses to the removal of Colston statue, as well as several Confederate memorials in the US recently. But if we are to consider the relationship between objectified commemoration and history more fully, it becomes clearer why the removal of statues is not necessarily synonymous with the erasure of history, but rather a fuller coming to terms with history, in which we no longer accept collective memories which have somewhat ironically erased or obscured our full sense of the past. To probe this idea further, I want to introduce some key ideas from the field of cultural memory studies. Studies on cultural memory, and particularly on national remembrance, or how a nation collectively remembers its past events, have been abundant in recent decades. Most of these studies engage, react, or respond to one of the field's foundational works, Pierre Nora's monumental seven-work volume, Les Lus de Memoir. 
Nora was a French theorist and historian who interrogated how French national identity had been constructed and cultivated over centuries. Most significantly, Nora pointed to how, as a byproduct of modernization, national feeling is actively cultivated and maintained through forms of objectified culture, such as statues and monuments. For Nora, national memories of the past could no longer be communicated through spontaneous or lived experience. It was no longer possible to cultivate national cohesion through oral communication and conversation. Consequently, Nora argued, national communities had to construct and draw upon forms of objectified culture, or rather, lieu de mémoire, which translates as sites of memory. Some examples of these sites of memory include statues and memorials, anniversaries, flags, songs, and outstanding individuals. The binding principle between them is that they uphold shared memories of the past for a nation or national population. Nora based his project on French national identity, pointing to sites of memory such as the Eiffel Tower and statues of Jean of Arc, suggesting how they bolstered French national feeling, pride and identity. While Nora was focused specifically on France, he also suggested that his project might easily be used to establish the typical style of relating to the past in other countries. And this consequently led to numerous other publications on how nationhood had been constructed through sites of memory in Britain and other European nations. Even within nations, sites of memory, such as statues, were also used to shore up civic and localised identities in a similar manner. If we briefly return to the statue of Colston, for example, we can trace initial intentions to bridge class divides in an increasingly stratified Victorian Bristol. Colston was being reinvented and memorialised as the city's great philanthropist almost two centuries after his death in order to implement ideological ideas propagated by city elites at the time. So the statue was not so much history per se, but rather the selective invention of tradition and memory, which spoke to a very specific contemporary purpose. More broadly, of course, Colston's symbolism was also intertwined with Britain's imperial domination, naval prowess and colonial wealth. So this was a site of memory which cultivated a civic identity, but also a very ideological form of national feeling in which, put frankly, black lives did not matter. But to return to Nora's idea, it's worth pointing out that many have criticised the narrow scope of his ideas. One of the major discrepancies that scholars have raised with his concept is its limiting, restrictive and potentially problematic emphasis on national frameworks. In a 2009 essay collection titled Memory, History and Colonialism, several scholars argued for a revision of Nora's concept that could fit the contours of colonial and post-colonial societies, which were and remain transnational in character. Focused on imperial history, the collection widens the concept to better address the conflicting nature of collective memory that's characteristic of colonial and post-colonial contexts and societies. Several examples of sites of memory are given that, rather than asserting or maintaining a cohesive national feeling, capture the pluralistic and subjective nature of remembrance and identity. 
One case study, for example, is focused on war memorials to Indian troops, both on the Western Front and in India. And these emanate inherent ambiguities. When looking at a monument to fallen Indian soldiers, for example, questions arise. Why did the men buried here die? Did they help liberate India or renew its oppression? Should they have been forced to fight for Britain? Should we be proud of this or not? These multiple questions arise from a single memory site. Multiple, conflicting, yet inseparable narratives are embedded within a single monument, a single statue. When this occurs, national identity is not stabilised or shored up. Rather, plural identities are reflected, and contradictory histories and contested national narratives come to the fore, which need to be unpacked within a more inclusive and fuller global context. So in returning to Colston Sink to the bottom of Bristol Harbour, this does not so much mark an erasure of history, but rather signals a fuller coming to terms with it. History, after all, is not solely preserved in monuments. It also entails interrogating the nature of those monuments, how they came to be, and how people interact with them. In this line of thought, it becomes possible to recognise sites of memory which, despite possible ambiguities, have undoubtedly worked to maintain inequality and oppression on a systemic level. And if we are to tackle systemic racism, it's important to recognise when or how a site of memory shores up racial hierarchy through selective interpretations of the past. <laughs>